0: Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. As always, I deem it a privilege to uh, preach the Word. And uh, this morning we are on part 10 of our current series called Upside Down. My name is Reino. Uh, if we have not met before, I have the privilege of being a church plant resident currently in my second year at Rooted Fellowship. Just imagine the signature on email, right, <laughs> for that. Um, it's a privilege for me to, uh, to do Upside Down part 10 this morning. Upside Down is the name of our series, and I saw a few visitors looking at our awesome design going, why does everything feel so strange this morning? (laughs) Exactly. We call this series Upside Down because the scriptures that we read in this series, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and the stuff that Jesus teaches feels upside down. It's different than our normal way of doing. It's different than the way of the world. It's different than the way of the culture. And sometimes it just sounds counterintuitive or said plainly, it sounds upside down. Now, we are framing this as a king's speech. Our King Jesus saying that my kingdom is here, my kingdom is near, and I can give you access to the kingdom. And then giving his speech as to what this kingdom is about and how we ought to live as citizens of this kingdom. Right? It's not... The kind of teaching that you would take in one-liners and put on your Twitter account in a daily spiritual post, right? It's way more than that. It is a new king reigning, spelling out how he will reign and how we ought to respond to it. So it is serious serious words and just a short testimony from my side guys this series has been really really profound to me personally i thought in this autumn slash winter time i'll be doing a lot of church plan hustle and i'll be having conversations with people and i'll be praying for our core group and i'll walk through centurion and evangelize and then we did the sermon on the mount and it just absolutely stopped me in my tracks boom i just felt week one that the holy spirit said dude we're going to get uh, into a serious growth season now, boot camp style. Now you listen to me. You know, that was the kind of uh, 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 leading I felt from the Holy Spirit. And it's been phenomenal. We are part of a city group as well, one of the spaces we create for fellowship at Rooted. And I mean, the conversations is just next level. Usually, we would kind of start yawning at half past eight, quarter to nine, because we all have small kids, don't judge. But I mean, in this series, we can keep going. And that we have to stop ourselves when we flesh out what this actually means for us as believers. So, loving it. John O started a new chapter in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, last week. And also a new section of what we call the King's Speech. And he framed it as, and I'm quoting from his sermon, how we are to live as believers in the kingdom of God. Well, let me say plainly. We know what the King wants now. He spelt that out in chapter 5. And he's addressed issues In his kingdom. And now he describes how we are to live. And if you just follow the logical flow of chapter 6. You'll see. that Last week was all about how to give. And this week will all be about how to pray. Prayer Sunday. Fitting. Now is it not? Okay. So I will land us at the end of this sermon. At the king wants us to pray from our hearts. The king wants you to pray from your heart. That's where we land. And it will all be clear once we've worked through the text, I promise. After that, One will take the mic and One will explain what the fellowship is and how we perceive our multiplication efforts to be fleshed out at this moment in time over the course of the next few years, right? We sent you an email saying, important announcement, please come. Thank you for being here. After the sermon, One will do that. And then we'll pray together. We'll pray together in small groups. We'll pray together corporately. And we'll end us off in worship. Does that sound good to you? That's where we're off to. So let me read the text for us. And then I'll pray for us. I'll pray for you. As always, I ask that you pray for me as well. And here's my prayer for you. If you are a believer or deem yourself a follower of Jesus, I really hope that today's sermon will help you see prayer in a fresh way. And see the Lord's prayer in a fresh way and that it will revitalize your prayer life. It's one of those things that if you would ever do a survey among Christians, where do you think you should grow most at the moment? Prayer always, always, always tops the list. But somehow we struggle finding the way to do it. Right? We do the five steps or the three steps or the four movements or the ten parts or the five minutes. But it doesn't quite actually help us to grow in intimacy with God. If you do not deem yourself to a believer, to be a believer of Christ, but you are interested in church and you kind of come here and you're kind of sussing out what faith is all about, here's my prayer for you, that you would see God and Jesus in a totally different and compelling way this morning. Let me read for us, the scripture will be on the screen, Matthew, uh, Matthew 6 from verse 5, and uh, the heading says, How to Pray. Here we go. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We acknowledge you as King. We deem it a privilege to be your followers. But we also submit to your word and to your authority this morning. Willing to be shaped by every word that we read that comes to life when we read it as a church together. Lord Jesus, we often find ourselves pursuing our own agendas. We sometimes have a tough time saturating our lives with you and your presence, your will and your commands. We sometimes get distracted by the daily tic-tac of life. And I pray that this morning that we would stop all of that, that we would not be distracted, that the evil one would not distract us. But that we would look up to you for salvation, for grace, for sanctification, and that we would be formed into your image by reading these words and responding to it. I pray Lord Jesus that you would do something among us this morning. That we could not have scripted. And that we, uh, that would be more than we could ever imagine. By this wonderful, marvelous age-old poem that you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so guys, before we break up the text into smaller chunks. To work through it. I would like to mention four things. Okay, now these four things will give us the context of this piece of scripture. In the story of Jesus, right? The story that's being told of Jesus. And also in the storyline of Matthew. Remember that Matthew was a book written by a guy named Matthew. Wanting to tell the story of Jesus and why he's the promised savior of the Old Testament. Now these four things will help us to approach the text with a certain unified posture this morning. And it might feel like it's coming fast, but I promise that it will be clear. So the first of the four things, just to put this piece of scripture into context, is the narrative of the Old Testament, the way that the story goes in the Old Testament, specifically with reference to the law and our hearts. Remember, guys, that in the Old Testament, I'm saying remember as if you all knew it. Uh, here's a piece of information: in the Old Testament, your heart is your center of being. You think from your heart, you do from your heart, you feel from your heart, and you live. From your heart. The people in the Old Testament did not have the division between mind and heart and soul and that old vibe that we have now. They knew that you had a heart and that's the center of your whole being, right? Now, uh, uh, God, the God of Israel, gives His people the law. He gives them commands. He gives them statutes. He gives them words. He gives them ten commandments, like a summary of all of it. And He wants them to live, according to all of those laws, from their hearts, right? Right? Now, something happens in the Old Testament. Moses says in Deuteronomy, just before the people of God enter the promised land, he says that the reason why you can't obey God's commands is because your hearts are hard. You have a problem, right? Something has happened in your innermost being, and that makes you continuously disobedient and incapable of keeping God's law. Your hearts need to be circumcised. Something needs to be cut away from your hearts. You need an intervention. You need a marking on your hearts. The prophet Jeremiah picks up that theme and Jeremiah says that God will eventually write the law, everything that he expects of us on your hearts. Right? Once again, because if God's law is on your heart, your innermost being will be oriented around the law. Ezekiel, another prophet in the Old Testament, picks up that theme. And he says that God will give you a new heart. That your hearts have become so hard that it's now made of stone. And God has to take that out to a transplant and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that can feel again. A heart that can respond to God again. So that's the first thing. Second thing that puts uh, the Lord's Prayer into context is Jesus' fulfillment of the law as stated by him in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? Sichler preached that sermon, and in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That just means that the story is still intact. What God expects of us is still intact. But the problem is none of you can do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to do it. And by me doing it and you following me, I shall fulfill the law. Right, That's what Jesus says. So I'll be the only one that can nail it. But then after I've nailed it, and you follow me and do as I tell you, then you'll be able to nail it too. And then in that way, the law will be fulfilled. Third thing. The great command as succinct, uh, summarized focus of the life of a believer. That just means... Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches the following. He gets asked a question, it's kind of a hot potato question, uh, which is the greatest command. And Jesus says in verse 37, he said to him, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your, there we go, heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets, see, story is still true, depend on these two commands. So Jesus takes Deuteronomy 6, he takes Leviticus 19, and he makes a new law, and he says that these two things are equally important. And these two things that he mentions has everything to do with your heart. And not only everything to do with your heart, it has everything to do with how you relate to God and people. Fourth thing, the crowd and the Kaddish. The Kaddish is a Jewish prayer, it's still being prayed today by Jewish folk age old, and it's a well-known prayer that the people in Jesus' time would have prayed. You cannot pray the Kaddish on your own. You always have to pray it in community with others. So here's the Kaddish. May God's great name be exalted and hallowed in the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your lifetime and during your days, and during the lifetimes of all the house of Israel speedily and very soon, and say amen. That's Kaddish, right there. So it's a prayer that the people prayed that Jesus was speaking to. Now what Jesus does in the Lord's prayer is He says, I'm happy to keep it, right? It is important, but something's missing. You can't just pray that and not take part in it. You are praying for God's kingdom to come. You are praying for His will to be done. But how will you do it? How will you be part of it? How do I love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? How will God's kingdom come? And then Jesus takes the themes of the Kaddish in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And he adds the second part as a response of these people. It's interesting, right? So in the context of these four things, Jesus teaches his people how to pray. How to pray in a way that will transform the hearts of people. We just picked that up out of the Old Testament. That will put God in his rightful place as Father. The word Father is really important. As well as help us understand who we are. And how we are to relate to God and to one another. And how to love God with all your heart. And how the kingdom will come. All in one short poem. Right? Yeah, my fingers are cold. Jesus is absolutely brilliant by giving us this one poem to achieve all of this. So let's walk through it real quick. Let's read verse 5 to 8 once again. Or actually, just leave 5 to 8 up there. In verse 5, Jesus assumes that we pray. Do you see that? He assumes that we pray. So when you pray, right? Not if you feel like it, when you do it. And he also assumes that we pray more than once a day because he was a Jew. The Jewish people still today have set prayer times that they pray certain prayers and recite certain psalms because they deem each day to be a gift from God. Now this was all known to the people that Jesus was speaking to. But now Jesus says, there are some people that pray like hypocrites. Some people that pray for the crowd. Some people, you'll remember, Jono explained this last week. Hypocrites could be people wearing masks. People play acting. People playing to the crowd to get the applause of the crowd. right? Actors. Or fake people. Or masked people. There are people who pray like that. And Jesus says, if you do that, if you pray for the crowd, and the crowd acknowledges you you've already got what you wanted. That's pretty much the gist of verse 5. In verse 6, Jesus says, the first mark of how we should pray is it's not about what others think. It's not about what others think. It's not a show. It's way more personal. And it's actually meant to be discreet. And that means nobody else needs to know. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that nobody else should know, but nobody else needs to know. Let me use the illustration. Can you imagine what it would be like if I, on a Friday morning, would wake up and Marie and I had an absolute ripper of a date night on Thursday. And I touched to unlock. I launch Instagram. I tapped the story button. I don't actually know if there is a story button. I haven't been on the socials in six years. But anyhow, I know that there's something called stories. And I lie in bed and go, my love, my liblebs. <laughs> I woke up this morning with such a feeling of contentment. So full have the camera pan to see her sleeping in her pajamas, and then go. When I think about you, I get filled with desires. I want to be with you, and I want to be intimate with you. Do you know what I mean that? Is just plain inappropriate. And secondly, it's not meant to be on the socials, right? You guys need to know that I love my wife, and that our marriage is in a good space. Yeah, that's true. But that kind of stuff is intimate stuff. It's deeply relational stuff. It's stuff that is holy. It's stuff that is meant only for our room and not for public consumption. Now, Jesus says, if you pray, that's the kind of intimacy you ought to press into when you pray. It has to have that feel. And when you throw these things out to the crowd, you are making it cheap. Do you guys think that Marie will appreciate me? If she sees that story waking up going, dude, how, how on earth? Did I make it onto your Instagram feed sleepy? Do you know what I mean? It's just plain inappropriate. Jesus says, that's not what I want from you. I want you to experience prayer as something deeply relational and intimate. In verses 7 to 8, Jesus says, don't pray needlessly long. Listen, not don't pray long. Don't pray needlessly long. Okay? Okay? And that also doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak to the Father, that you should speak to the Son, that you should speak to the Spirit, that you should recite the promises of Scripture. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is rhetorical prayer. And He says don't do it because the Gentiles do it. So the Gentiles are Greek and Roman believers, not believing in the God of Israel, but believing in a multitude of gods, knowing that I don't actually know how to approach them, so I need to suss that out before I pray. So when I pray to one of those gods, I would say something like the mighty and big and colossal, whatever the God's name is. I want to come before you and I'll ask you something, but I actually don't know if I can ask you something. Please don't smash me. Well, I mean, you could smash me if you wanted to, but please don't, because I've I've kind of been all right, but I really need your fertility. But if you don't want to give me your fertility, I'm I'm also kind of cool with that because I've been sinful. You know what I mean? That's how they prayed. Our God does not operate like that. You know where you stand with Him. Papa. That's it. Father, son. Father, daughter. Boom. As plain as that. I don't need to beg Him. I don't need to have a secret code to get access to Him. I don't need to make sure that I can kind of approach Him. I can run to Him freely. And just say, our Father. Jesus says, don't do it. And then he says, the Father knows what you need. Now, for some reason, Christians react to that verse, verse 8. Because your Father knows the thing you need before you ask Him. And then they say, well, should we then still pray? Absolutely. Why? Because God isn't a vending machine. He's not an ATM. He's not an emergency hose. He is a father who wants to be in a relationship with you. So even though he might know what you want, the joy is in experiencing him as the one that knows what you want. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not saying I'm the perfect father, but I love being able to dish up French toast when our kids ask for it. <laughs> because I know that they want it. Right? So when I say to Eva, Blum, what would you like for breakfast this morning? I know the answer. And I cannot wait to make it for her, to give it to her, so that we can eat it together. Right? Syrup on the one side, tomato sauce and cheese on the other side. Whoever did not have treats, I'm sorry. Okay? Sorry. But that's the joy. is experiencing this dynamic and this relationship as the truth. It's only when you see God as an ATM that you think, well, if he knows what I want, then I shouldn't even speak to him. And then Jesus says, pray like this. Pray like this. And this prayer that Jesus gives us, next slide please, uh, instead of becoming a repetitive rhyme that we don't think about anymore when we pray it, it should constantly lead us into a deeper relationship with God. This prayer is meant to blow our minds every single time we pray it. It's meant to transform our hearts. It's meant to come from the heart. I want to show you A few things in this prayer real quick, and then I'll land us. The first one is, it has two halves, and each half has a very specific focus. So the first half, all the words in red, is dominated by you and yours. Not ours, not mine. And this is important, guys. God should be first, and God's agenda should be first. And that's hard for us to hear, And that's where heart transformation takes place. Right? To get out of myself, to put my agenda aside, and to get on God's agenda asks for heart transformation. The second part of the poem, everything in blue, is filled with us and ours. Now, we've made the mistake in our Western individualistic um, um, world to think that I can pray, give me my daily bread. And forgive me my trespasses or debts. But there's actually something really important in the plural here. And that is that this prayer ought to remind us that there's something going on outside of myself. What I am actually praying is relevant to someone more than me. And then Jesus says, I know it's hard for you to digest this whole forgiveness vibe. Let me make it really clear to you. Verses 14 and 15. And then I think Jesus said. We'll come back to this later in the gospel. Because in Matthew 18. We read a whole part on forgiveness. But that's hard for us. To hear. If we pray us. Today. In this setting. The us means. This small church family. And this small church family. Is part of a bigger church family. And is part of the body of Christ. This prayer is meant to shift our focus. From me, myself and I. To us and to ours. And friends, I don't care who you are. You need a change of heart to be able to make that transition. Something needs to happen really deeply inside of you. For you to understand yourself and your prayers. And everything that you bring to the Father as relevant to all of us. This prayer teaches us how to relate to God. It teaches us how to relate to others. And it also teaches us that relationship to God is interwoven with relationships with his image image bearers. It's a distinctive of our faith. Other religions might be able to create this deception that my relationship with my God or the deity that I um, uh, worship has got nothing to do with my relationship with people. Ours cannot. Because in the great command that I showed you earlier, Matthew 22 verse 37, Jesus spells out that loving God equals loving people. And if you pray this, it will transform you. Let me just make three quick remarks. Think about our bread. Our bread. What happens when you pray, give us today, our bread? Well, you acutely become aware of those who do not have. And you get moved into action because they don't. What happens when you pray, forgive us as I have forgiven you immediately get pushed towards forgiving those who you have not forgiven yet. Right? Because it's in accordance to how I forgive that I'm asking for forgiveness. Have you ever prayed this prayer and it stops you right there and you go, forgive? Oh. <laughs> Lord, is it possible that I might just skip over these two lines for now? I mean, you really? Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> What's up, dude? I need to speak to you. Right? That's what this prayer is supposed to do. Think about temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Have you ever thought about the fact that the evil one is after your brother as well? And that the evil one is after your sister as well? Have you ever thought about the fact that if I, if I pray, please deliver me from evil, he'll go, man can't reach there, onto the next one. The next one needs your prayer. That's why we ought to be aware of each other's temptations and testings. And we ask for deliverance as a corporate body. Because the evil one will unrelentingly keep coming for us. Right? That's why we need to be open about our lives. And there's a whole discipleship rabbit hole I can go down. I'm not going to. (laughs) Let me uh, give you one illustration and then I'll end us off. This is the sheet music for Good Good Father, which we sang earlier. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like if we put up this piece of sheet music and no one played it? Because what is sheet music? I'm literally going to make up a wiki reino definition now. It's musical notes arranged to be played by a variety of instruments so that it can form a song. Right? That's what sheet music is. But sheet music is meant to be performed. It's meant to be played. It's meant to take a part in it. We could have handed out the sheet to everyone, and we could have read it together if we wanted to. Would it have been the same? No. It's something that is created to take part in. Let me humbly submit this to you. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be loved. It's meant as something we should take part in. If we pray the Lord's Prayer and the stuff we pray in the Lord's Prayer about God, about His name, His honor, His glory, His kingdom, His will, heaven, earth, daily bread, forgiveness, deliverance from evil, temptations, all of that that we just prayed or recited, is part of the calling of the church. It's part of the vision of the church. This is the kind of stuff that our King wants us to do and wants us to live. Well, let me say it differently. The church is the place or the context in which we do this. The usness, and that's a word coined by our only pastor, One K. Mokhatle, the usness of this prayer is experienced vividly and richly right here in the church. Are you feeling me? The, 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 the usness, the we of that prayer gets manifest right here as part of the church. Through the church, people are invited into this transformation. Through the church, people are invited into this transformation of our hearts and of our lives. And that's why we believe that the church is a good thing. We believe the church is a good thing. And we also believe that we ought to plant more and more churches. Why? To invite more and more people into this transformation of our hearts and of our lives. Our king has a great vision for us as individuals. And as a church family. The king wants us to pray from our hearts. The king wants you to pray from your heart. And I'm pretty sure that if we pray this prayer from our hearts... We will be transformed. And our lives will be turned upside down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for the brilliance and the transformative power of this prayer. We thank you that you are clear. And that you refocus and reorient us about what is important. So, Father God, we want, to, we want to honor your agenda. We want to get with it. Lord Jesus, we don't want to live selfish, individualistic lives. But we want to live as a people, collective, honoring you and obeying you as our king. And therefore, we pray that your name would be hallowed. And we submit our most basic and deepest longings and desires to you. Because we know that, we hear you, uh, that you hear us. We know that we can run to you. We know that we don't need to pray long sentences to get your attention. But that you are the Bible says you are. And that we are your children. I pray that this would transform us as a church family. That this would transform us as individual believers. And that this would push us out towards others. And that we would invite others into this marvelous transformative journey. I pray that in your name. Amen. mean